So the mission of Govlier is to educate, inform, and to simplify government contracting processes for mm-hmm. small minority and women-owned businesses to be able to take advantage of these opportunities. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. You're joined again by your two favorite hosts. I'm Adam Moore here with Chloe Goodry-Reed, and joining us today is Shakia Kegler, the founder and CEO of Govlier. Shakia is a veteran of the United States Navy and since returning to civilian life, has received several awards and accolades through her work with Govlier. She is a dedicated individual with a drive to create opportunities for individuals and business owners to grow, overcome economic hardships, and surpass barriers to success using technology. Welcome to the show, Shakia. It's so great to have you here with us this morning. Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so wonderful to have you, Shakia. I like it, right? The, the title of the show is Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. And in her intro, we have her breaking barriers. I mean, this is a natural guest to have with us this morning. Yes, yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in the Navy. You know, just tell us a little bit about you. Absolutely. So where I actually got started in the procurement space or um, just purchasing was while I was serving active duty Navy. So I purchased supplies on behalf of my department and I was I joined the Navy at 18 and I was managing a $400,000 operating budget for my department alone. So this is just one department on board an aircraft carrier and we were forward deployed in Japan. So if you can think of it, we I was ordering a lot of things that we just didn't have access to, you know, go to the store and pick up or things like that. So um, I was purchasing different, you know, tools for, I was in weapons department, so different tools to help manage and build weapons and ammunition and things like that. I was purchasing products for personnel from boots to shirts to bags. Um, I was purchasing everything for office supplies, pens, just everything that we needed. I was purchasing those um, different products. And then we ended up going through a period of where we were doing maintenance on the on the aircraft carrier. So um, I had to order the supplies for our different in-serve teams is what we called it. And I was able to, you know, really learn the ins and outs of doing business uh, or buying different products and services. And from my time serving, I ended up separating and uh, started working at a pharmaceutical company, learning the opposite side of actually selling to the government. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where I was able to really put both worlds together and decided I was going to branch out and do my own thing. Um, and I would, I, of course, like entering back into civilian life, everyone's trying to find their balance. Like what, right. what, oh, does, yeah. what does this look like for me? Like, what do I want to do? Like, right. what do I like? And I was going to a number of different networking events and I would meet different professionals and they were always interested in, you know, what I was doing around selling to the government. And I found out that was an opportunity. This is an opportunity to share um, information. This is an opportunity to also create something that would simplify this um, at the state and local government levels. So that was pretty much full circle. Wonderful. Let me, let me ask you a quick question because I, I mentor quite a few small and diverse businesses, right? And give us an idea of what the government buys, right? I think we all have a preconceived idea of what the government buys, but I know I've talked to like the Federal Reserve Bank and some state and local governments, and I'm like, you guys really buy that? I had no idea the government would buy this. So give us an idea, Shakia, of some of the things that the government is buying or looking for and looking for diverse suppliers to provide to them that maybe we don't think about a government needing to buy. Right. Absolutely. I love that question, Adam, because usually I try to put it into perspective and let everyone know the same people who are using these products and services are stakeholders like you and I. The same employees. These are people who work, you know, in the office building that needs paper, in the office building that needs ink, that needs uh, toilet paper, right? Needs hand soap. Like everything that we utilize on a day to day basis is something that agencies and organizations and government agencies are purchasing. Um, universe, and that's another thing too. There are so many different levels of government. You have. Wow. Um, states, you have local government agencies, you have police departments, fire departments, airports, mm-hmm. you have, you know, hospitals. housing authorities, mm-hmm. yeah, hospitals, yeah. colleges, mm-hmm. universities, oh, there's something in my head, uh, colleges, universities. So there's a large variety of buyers that are spending trillions of dollars that we don't take advantage of. And it's everything that we use on a day-to-day basis. Food. Um, you know, I saw a number of different opportunities for plastic wear. We all buy plastic wear at, at, uh, at home, right? right. Um, ketchup, to, uh, mayo, mustard, <laughs> everything that we use in our daily lives. It's the same stuff that agencies are purchasing. It's just a matter of being strategic to figure out which agencies are buying the products or services that you provide. So when we think about food products, um, mostly, you know, we see that from the G, the GSA at the federal level, the General Service Administration, uh, you know, buildings, they're purchasing buildings, they're buying buildings for realtors, you know, things like that. It's so much that it's insane. This lady told me she saw a bid for wigs before. I've seen haircuts. Wow. wow. I've seen haircuts. Definitely seen haircuts. Wow. Think about the prison systems. Oh, sure. Oh, right. 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 Don't think about that. Mm -mm. Their entire lifestyle has to be funded through a government entity. So, you know, different ways of getting into the space. I know also just most people automatically think of construction. Um, But what we tend to do is forget that construction has so many different layers. I know a lady who she has a company where she does lodging. Um, She helps with travel arrangements and lodging. She gets really good contracts through the Department of Transportation. They're huge on construction and infrastructure. 
she makes her money by working as a subcontractor with these large teams to bring their team to the site. Another lady ah. construction space, she has a company that, um, you know, the flyers and the information that you get, basically the communication prior to work being done. Mm-hmm. She's that public relations person for this particular job site. So there are so Uh many different layers within, you know, that construction space, electrical, drywall. It's so much stuff that we can do. Um, We just have to be able to break those bigger jobs down as well. That's wonderful. So with all these opportunities, tell us sort of the mission of of GovLier because I feel like the mission feeds right into what you were saying here about all the various opportunities. Absolutely. So the mission of GovLier is to educate, inform, and to simplify government contracting processes for Mm -hmm. small minority and women-owned businesses to be able to take advantage of these opportunities. So often businesses are missing out on being able to sell their products and services to the government due to those three reasons. Either um, they don't have the information about how to navigate these processes, or it's just extremely time consuming and complex for a business to navigate. So that's why we focus on not only the educational component, helping you really get your business well equipped and prepared to do this business, but we are also focused on working with the agencies to streamline some of these decade old processes as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then of course, informing them about different opportunities that come available. So we've been able to partner with some right. firms who advertise contracting opportunities, and then also with some prime contractors who also do work with small businesses as subs. So our focus is to really build that ecosystem, that ecosystem of businesses, governments, so that way the community can work together. Yeah. One thing that I really love, um, and I don't know, Adam, if you've gotten a chance to see this, but okay. Shakia's Instagram, which what what is your Instagram handle just for our listeners? Oh, I'm going to have to check this out. <laughs> it's Govlia. It's G-O-V-L-I-A on Instagram. Yes, I love I love it because she creates these these videos that are like bite sized videos on, you know, your, you know, government contracting can be so overwhelming, but she creates these little bite sized videos where it tells you exactly what to do and it's just, it breaks it down to a very simple level and it's, it's digestible. And I just, I just love them because I've never seen anything like it. It's so innovative. (laughs) Yeah. I am definitely going to check that out. That sounds amazing actually. Cause I'm always looking for more information in this space, right? Cause obviously coming from the private sector, I, like I said earlier, my, my protégés are like, well, how do we get into the government sector? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I can introduce you to the government sector. That's about it. I don't have any knowledge beyond that. Right. So I think this, this is an amazing strategy. So talk to us a little Shakia about government, the government sector being a business strategy, right? Mm-hmm. I seem to see in, in my walk, right. I see one of two things happened. I see uh, MBE and WBE firms that started out with a government contract that kind of got the wind beneath their wings, so to speak. And that's what kind of got them to take off. And then they're like, now I want to come into the private sector. So tell me, private sector, what programs do you have for MBEs and WBEs? I'm like, well, I have an RFP if you want to compete with like (laughs) Microsoft and CompuCom and all these guys, right. Or, you know, they come, they start in the private sector. They're like, Oh, I really need to get into the government. And then they start to get in the government contract and they are just lost. Right. Because, it's really an interesting two worlds. And I find 
very rarely companies that have been able to navigate both successfully mm. and equally. It's like they concentrate in one and dabble in the other. So talk to us a little bit about that strategy as you've seen it and how you've helped coach companies along. Absolutely. So in, in terms of most businesses um, that we've been working with, some of them have done business with corporations before, but most of them have not. Uh, and they are really just looking for a strategy and a way to grow their existing business mm -hmm. by working with a, a bigger client. Um, and we usually just take that approach and help them identify what you know what exactly what your products and services are you we yes. uh, you have to start there sometimes yes a lot of times business owners they get caught up in doing a bunch of different things and i can attest to that because i have done it <laughs> um doing a bunch of different things and really having to narrow down those services so what are you really offering and then from there we identify which agencies we want to work with so we'll outline the agencies at the federal level who mm -hmm. are buying these products and services to make it easier for you to target um and to find and find ways to build relationships because that's another thing too yeah. in the government space relationships are huge mm -hmm. um and it's really marketing and advertising your business um it, it's huge for them because if they don't know you're out there you know it's harder for them to right. say we can do business with them um and then the next one would be narrowing down at the the state and local government levels which agencies locally can you actually um, do business with and which ones do you have connections with? Uh, mm -hmm. That's one thing too. Uh, I've always been told like your network um, mm -hmm. is your net worth, right? Yeah. Yes, um, yes. We I don't like that. leverage mm -hmm. our network enough. Uh, we don't leverage them. And not just saying like using, you know, the network. Of course, you want to maintain real genuine connections and relationships. But if you want to have connections and relationships with people that you can ask questions, you can, you know, get information from and things like that. Um, so being able to leverage it in that sense. So that's usually how the strategy starts. We, I, we really narrow down that audience um, that you need to go after. And, you know, it's so amazing. You, you, you stumbled into what Chloe and I say on the show all the time and you didn't even realize it, right? The very <laughs> first thing we always talk about on the show is know your why right? Yes. Know why you're in business, know what you do, know why you do it and know how you do it, right? Know that why. Then intentionality, right? Know who you're going after and why you're going after them and why your product works with them and why they should use your product. And then build the relationship first and the business will come after that. I learned that from another guest. I'm just going to continue to use it. But yes, build that relationship <laughs> like first. It. The business follows afterwards. So yeah, you the model you're you're, you're teaching your clients is the exact same one we preach on this show. So thank you for reinforcing and showing our audience that yes, Chloe and I actually know what we're talking about. <laughs> I think it's crazy that it's two completely different areas. So either yes. way, yes. yes. How do you think that, you know, when you look at sort of the interaction between sort of on the, the corporate side, how do you feel like, you know, it's very different for small businesses when, you know, they're going after government contracts and they mm -hmm. win them? You know, how do you know, can you talk a little bit about that process? Because it's very different, you know, than working with a corporation and for our listeners who are potentially exploring government contracts and what that means to their business, want to make sure that they mm -hmm. have the right infrastructure internally yeah. to then be able to um, do all of the things that you need to do from a compliance standpoint once you get those right. contracts. Um, and most of them will be based off of that particular agency, mm -hmm. uh, that particular government agency 
and what their requirements are. Um, so for example, I would say, well, just as a, a caveat for the corporate space, there is not a lot that I know about it aside from working with corporations as a subcontractor mm-hmm. and those processes are different as well. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. Everyone's using, you know, something completely different. And mm-hmm. it, it can get very confusing as with the government space um, mm-hmm. as well. But for businesses who, you know, you really need more of the basics. One, you need to be able to um, prove that, you know, you've done this work previously. Uh, uh, that right. past so past experience and past Yeah, that past performance means a lot um, with the agencies. Um, and how I usually tell people with that is past performance is also your personal past performance. So you've been working for Microsoft uh. for 30 years um, doing God knows what, right? You've been doing mm-hmm. this. And you decide you want to start your business doing and providing that same exact service, you can leverage your personal past performance mm-hmm. because you've done that work. Right. Um, gotcha. So, um, mm-hmm. so past performance means a lot. Uh, making sure that you have your paperwork in place. If you plan to go after different small business certifications, so at federal level, um, state, local governments, they all have their own certification processes in place, mm-hmm. um, which differ from the third party institutions that corporate companies um, like select and work with. So let's mm-hmm. see the, the WeBanks, the NMSDCs, the a- government agencies have their own certifications. Yes, um, they do. Applications mm-hmm. that you have to go through. So you need to make sure that you have your paperwork in place when it comes down to your tax returns, making sure you have all of that um, in place if you want to go after these different certifications. And then as it relates to responding to RFPs, all of the information is provided within that RFP. They tell you down to the point of where they, how they want you to respond. How should, what sections should be within your proposal? Um, and that's why I love, you know, doing business with the federal government or just the government in general, because it's in black and white. Everything that they're requesting, they want in black and white. Um, so once you go through that process, you're providing all of this preliminary information about your business, the overview, the technical um, aspects of it, and you know just adding in your capability statement, all of this information into a nice package, and you submit that package. Once you go through, you know the the they'll go through like an analysis process, and if you win the contract, you're awarded. Like now we're about to get paid. Right. <laughs> right. Um, But also, if you don't win the contract, you can always ask for a debrief to get a better understanding of what, you know, what didn't your proposal have this time that you need to add in for the next one. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, just I think I hope I was answering the question. Yes. No, totally. totally. And and I think that's an important part, right? Because you don't see the debrief portion a lot in corporate America. No, right. It's kind of like you get ghosted, right? If you didn't win the RFP, you literally just get ghosted and they forget you exist and everybody's moving on with life. So I really like that because that's been a complaint of mine inside corporate America. It's like we can't grow diverse businesses if we don't tell them what happened. Right. Because they have no they have no idea where along the the timeline procedure that they fell off and what was the rationale between them not getting selected. So they can't improve. So I I like that about the federal government over corporate America, because I don't think we're doing a good job with the follow ups in the RFP, because that's a learning lab. I mean, that is a really true learning lab that we need to take more advantage of. Yes. Yeah, I like that. And the other portion I forgot to mention was the questions. 
Um, how are you all? Can you ask questions like through uh, the RFP process in the corporate space as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, de- it, you definitely. It depends. It, it, it depends on what yeah. the opportunity is, I would say. But it's mm-hmm. not this cone of silence like as mm-hmm. soon as the RFP is released until. Right. The awarded, the yes, until right, the end, right. until past the award sometimes with some of these government agencies. Yeah, yeah. I know typically the processes I've seen having run them is you publish the RFP, people respond whether or not they want, you know, they're going to participate. Then you hold a Q&A session before mm-hmm. they submit their packages. So any, but you're asking the questions in front of your other competitors. Yeah. Right. And so we do it in, in, in the corporate space so that we have a fair and level playing field. Right. And nobody can say, oh, well, you play favorites with so and so. We're like, no, everybody was there. Everybody heard the same questions. Right. right? And right. then beyond that, they have an ability to then write in questions, right, that we would respond to. But if you write in a question, we send the answer back to everybody Everyone. still. Okay. Right. So, again, so there's two there's two methods usually. And I've seen this in a lot with peers that I talk to about the process. That seems to be it. But then once those two question periods are done and packages are submitted, it's off to the races, right? Yeah. And maybe you get to ask a clarifying question before you go to oral if you have oral presentations, but that's hit or miss there. Mm. So I'd say that's one of probably the biggest difference between the two processes that I've seen. I know we usually will have that one period for um, the question. And then like Chloe said, that cone of silence, don't reach uh, out, don't, don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't bother me, kid, I'm busy. <laughs> So we talked um, before with uh, uh, we had another guest, Shannon Polson, and we she shared with us a little bit about how veterans, um, the way that they're training is, you know, such that when they merge into entrepreneurship or working with a company, they're usually, you know, very, very, very good entrepreneurs, very, very good employees. Tell us a little bit, uh, you know, how do you think your experience in the U.S. Navy affects how you run your business? Wow, that is a really good question. Um, so I, I've seen it work for me and against me. Mm. Okay, um, let's hear this. I love it because you usually don't hear how it works against you. Like, right, I love mm-hmm. that. Yes. <laughs> so so for, for me, it, it's worked for me because I'm used to structure. I'm used to yeah. some organization. I'm used to being able to prioritize things in a manner of what needs to be solved right at mm-hmm. this very moment. Right. So uh, used to, to problem solving and things like that. Um, so it's worked for me in those different areas, being able to connect with people from multiple different walks of life. That's work mm-hmm. for me, not mm-hmm. uh, being able to, you know, understand how to operate and thrive in adversity. That's, you know, something that I, I definitely say I gained a lot from. Um, from on the structure aspect of how it works against me, I would say um, in the, when you're in the military, there's a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And if you're here, you can't talk to people up here. So <laughs> I was following that same hierarchy here and usually you know instead of reaching out to the ceos or the you know whoever you know the person is in that department i'm reaching out to the person that's supposed to connect me with that person who Mm -hmm. is usually what we call them um gatekeepers gatekeepers yes 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 Mm -hmm. yes. it's like running into a brick wall every time it was so crazy 
So that's how I would say it worked against me in a sense. So I had to realize that things don't operate the same out here. And, you know, there's still a process and a professional aspect of how you reach out and you connect with people. Um, But there's also some persistence to it that, you know, you can bypass this person without going to captain's mask or something like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. um, that was one way I would say the structure and, you know, the hierarchy and that mindset, it, it kind of like um, worked against me in a sense mm-hmm. in the beginning. And um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because sometimes. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Whenever people share some of their challenges or way things, it always helps someone else, you know, avoid some yes. of those same pitfalls. Yes. So, but a lot of times yeah. people, are not always willing to be vulnerable and say how things works again, or they're not reflective enough to even be self-aware of how it might be affecting them. So tell us a little bit, you know, obviously we serve um, small and diverse businesses. Talk a little bit about the government's commitment around small and diverse businesses and why it's important for small and diverse businesses to start looking at potential government opportunities. Yes. So at the federal level, they, have um, 23% of the government budget allocated for small businesses. And there there are different certification programs for small uh, service disabled, veteran-owned, women-owned business, economically disadvantaged women-owned business. There's a program called AA. We have different programs that are set aside because they're setting aside certain funding for these Mm -hmm. particular businesses. And then also just small businesses in general. So there's a total um, and 100% small business set aside. So you don't have to be certified for that one. You just have to be a small business. Mm. And the size standards are determined based off of your business's industry. And that'll Mm -hmm. show on the NAICS codes that are that you utilize. So that's how, you know, in the federal space, they have this funding set aside and these opportunities that are set aside. When you even search for contracting opportunities, you can narrow it down by these different set aside. So Hmm. if I wanted to find opportunities that were only set aside for service disabled veteran owned businesses, I could do that. Um, If I want to only find them for a woman owned, I could do that as well. Now, as as it goes into like state and local governments, they vary, but every state and local government, well, every state government has a department of transportation. So the Mm -hmm. department of transportation has the DBE program. That's the disadvantaged business enterprise program. And that's like we said earlier, the department of transportation handles all of the infrastructure, all of the roads, the highways, airports, uh, actual ports where ships um, and things like Mm -hmm. that. So that certification, they have funds that are set aside for those businesses as well, which is definitely something huge because we just had an infrastructure bill. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, so that trillion. Yes. Every state has a department of transportation. And then we go down into states and local governments. They have their own certification programs as well. Some of them are MWBE, Minority Woman Business Enterprise. Some of them are race and gender neutral. Uh, Not everyone has a race and gender conscious program. So like, for example, I live in Broward County. Broward County has a small and a local business enterprise certification um, so they don't have a race or gender conscious program 
they because they were sued before um, about it previously. And then also for cities and counties and states to implement race and gender conscious programs, they have to go through what's called a disparity study. Um, And these disparity studies have to prove that they are not spending enough money with women, minority women and minority owned businesses. So once uh, you see an agency is going through a disparity study, that's basically them saying, okay, are we spending enough with these businesses? And if the results of this disparity study come out, which nine times out of 10, they usually do come out and say they're not spending enough money, they are required to implement different programs. Now, it doesn't have to be a certification program, but mm-hmm. different you know, trainings or they're uh, set aside certain amounts of money for this to go to uh, women and minority owned businesses. So that's usually how it differs at every different level. It's a lot to keep up with. It is. That's a ton. Yeah. And all the different certifications that you need. Yeah. yeah but I think the, the upside to it, too, is with the set asides, right? If, if, um, if you're a, a, a small minority owned firm, you're competing. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Shakia, yeah. but I, I believe that if, if you're in one of those programs in the set size, you're only competing with other small minority owned firm. So it's yes. like apples to apples. So yeah. you don't have to worry about one of the large four, like if you're consulting, right? You don't have to worry about in the RFP. So is KPMG. And you sit there and go, really? <laughs> How am I competing with that? And yeah. I think that's awesome. So um, especially when we start talking about scalability and building your business and just trying to get momentum, that's that's yeah. an awesome place to compete because you're competing with you're competing with yeah. like peers. And that's a yeah. great program. Yeah, which I can't say, you know, always happens on the corporate side. No, and, no, no. And that's not how at all. small businesses sometimes often don't get an opportunity to to yeah. um, really win some of these opportunities. Hence why we have supplier diversity professionals and also exactly. focused on other small businesses as well. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow, that's crazy. I thought uh, I, I, like I said, I didn't know much about it, but I assumed it would mirror because uh-huh. a lot of things overlap. That's crazy. Yeah. Yes. No, which, you know, I don't know if it's a, if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, I think depending on what your space is, it can help you step your game up so that you can compete. But if you don't have a relationship with, you know, whoever that category manager is or that purchasing manager, then sometimes it's, you know, it's right. not helpful because they're in their mind, we're always comparing apples to apples, but in reality, it's not apples to apples it's, at it's all. It's not apples to apples. And, you know, the really good supplier diversity programs in corporate America, though, recognize that blind spot. Right. And I think right. we've talked on this show many times about tier two programs that are put in place, right. mentoring programs where you're trying to help these businesses understand how to compete in the market. And Absolutely. I think that's really for corporates. We there's a different level of responsibility because we have shareholders and right. there's a all all tons of different corporate structures, but I think we need not to let that limit us, right? Yeah. Or go oh just push everybody out in the government sector. I think that's just turning our back to a problem, but we need to lean on that mentoring part of it and the educational piece because I think we can bring experience uh, from our own backgrounds to help them. The, the minority businesses really build the corporate structure that they need to survive long term. So yeah. we need to realize that. Yeah, you might be competing in an RFP with, you know, worldwide billion dollar companies, but we need not to just stop there and and rest on, oh, we got a minority business in the RFP. Aren't we great? Move on to the next, right? We got to, we really have to sit down and, and, and study that. And, and I do know some corpus, this is very rare. So don't, guys, please don't think this is a thing. Uh, some do have set aside, right? Or they have a, a minority business program. And they're like, okay, we want to go find a, uh, 
black owned business or a woman owned right. business and we want them to come in and do this work for yeah, us right but yeah that's very rare in the opportunity space but i think it's corporate realizing we have to make some opportunities yeah as well too, we have to so. be more intentional we have to be more proactive in it yeah yeah exactly. yeah mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely well shakia one last question for you before we zoom out you know I know this about you, but tell us what your favorite hobby is to pursue. Oh, I can't wait to hear this one. Yes. And how that allows you just to connect with different people. Oh, man. So I've been um, tapping into like a number of different things, really trying to explore my hobbies recently. And uh, one is skating. So I enjoy skating. Um, It allows me to actually go out like and you meet people at parks, (laughs) at the skating rink, like you meet people everywhere. And it is allows me to, you know, be able to one decompress for sure. um, Using that as a exercise and just, but also it's a way that you can build relationships with people that can last a long time. Mm. Right. Mm. Like I've been able to connect with some people who actually work for the government and we're just like, at a park skating casually like oh so what do you do like you know <laughs> that's um, awesome yeah so it's it's fun and it, it also gives me something to at least just also have a conversation about as well when you know building rapport yeah um some people would say you know i i don't skate i was like what oh you, <laughs> you should go skating like you know that just is cool certain things so that's one of my biggest hobbies right now skating for sure yeah okay. That's a cool hobby and one you don't hear a lot. So that's very yes, cool. Yes. Yeah. She's a really good skater too. And I, <laughs> I see like all these parks in Florida. I'm like, yeah, I mean, for a place like that, where you've got these wide streets and yes. beautiful palm trees, you've got this environment that's beachy. You're just like, yes. I now have a totally new vision of Shakia in my mind after this. So. <laughs> Also look for her skating videos on Instagram too. Soon. Yes. To yes. They, she has a lot on her Instagram. Okay. Too, so I think yes. I posted okay. one on LinkedIn and it went crazy. Yes. Like, I saw okay. that. It was like viral. Like people were like, love that you're decompressing like this. This is wonderful. That's yeah. awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. show yes. Yeah. Been great. You can follow Shakia and all her work at www.shakiakegler.com and at govlier.com. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe yes. Reed and Adam Moore. If you've enjoyed the episode, check out our previous shows and stay tuned for next time. Thank you so much, Shakia, for coming. Thank you for having me. I love the conversation. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.